Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. Train to Busan is over. You'll stay with me, Daddy. Won't you? Andy, we've talked about zombie movies on this show. How have we not talked about Train to Busan? Why? I feel like we just forgot that it existed. Well, to be fair, we started this show before uh, this movie came out. So, <laughs> well, I know, but this is I I I am a legit fan of this movie, and I I feel like I owe it an apology that we haven't talked about it more on this show. So I'm sorry, Train to Busan. I'm really really sorry. Well, we're here now. So everything is okay. We're going to try and make it up to you. 
Yes, indeed. And your sibling, Peninsula, next week. Yes. And Soul Station, which yeah. I think both of us watched. We both watched. So, I, I, there. I maybe we maybe we start there. I think it's funny that we built this entire season on franchises, and I don't know how, in the process of doing research and building all these these things, that neither of us noted as we were putting this on that we realized that there was a third film. In this uh, series, like even looking at it on the website, I was just like, oh, it's just Train to Busan and Peninsula. I didn't even note that Soul Station was an actual, you know, legit feature length entry into this franchise. So maybe down the road, we'll do a, a bonus episode and we'll talk about this. Um, but, yeah, it's it's worth mentioning for sure. I think it's absolutely worth mentioning that it exists. It is a prequel to Train to Busan, and, but but only insofar as it's set in the same universe. There are still plenty of zombies. It's not like... Yeah, it's funny because I kept seeing, oh, it's an animated prequel. It's an animated prequel. And I'm like, huh, okay, that is, it's going to kind of set up how the zombies end up at the Soul Station where... Uh, where our heroes, they board the train to begin with, like, and, and kind of like right. set that whole story up. And then it wasn't that. It wasn't even a prequel, like setting up how the zombies um, came to be. It was just, it, I suppose, like what I've read of Peninsula, which I still have yet to watch, it very much is just another sort of story where it's like, it's another entry into this universe where it's people fighting against zombies. This one just, Soul Station yes. just happens to be it like earlier in the, like the night and early morning of the uh, the story where Train to Busan takes place. Yes. And and I think that's the same. Like my uh, oh, my memory of Peninsula is rough. I think it's like four or five months later. And so it's a sequel only insofar as it takes place later in time. Yeah. And that's what Soul Station is. It's a prequel only yeah. because it takes place earlier in time. Yep. Yep. But and, and it was it was fine. I actually look forward. I think doing it as a bonus episode is perfect. It's it's worth a watch for sure, especially in universe. And uh, uh, but today is is we're actually on the train on the train. Yes. So this one is one of the movies that takes zombies to, uh, takes on zombies from the perspective of the disease, uh, mysterious biochemical uh, outbreak. Yes. And there is something that goes on. Now, here's the thing that I need to talk about in terms of setting up the movie, which is not completely clear to me. In the beginning of the movie, we meet our principal character. Not quite the beginning of the movie. We, we have a whole prologue right. first, yes. There is a prologue, and it's it's actually the doll, <laughs> the waving doll, the creepy, <laughs> the construction doll. Yeah, the cre- I love the him creepy so much. mannequin. Yeah, yeah, he's my speak, uh, spirit animal. So um, th- after that initial sequence, we'll come back to that. Uh, the The setup is there is this fund manager. Dad is a fund manager, and he is talking to his boss, and the boss says, sell everything. We're selling everything. And then his peon comes in and says, "Uh, Dad, uh, should what are we doing? And Dad says, sell everything. But wait, there will be repercussions. There will be fallout. If we do this, this is going to be bad. And he says, "Do, do you work for the Lemmings? Uh, and that's a rhetorical question because obviously the answer is yes. That's the setup. There is they they sell everything. But my understanding is this thing, the disease, because of our little prologue, is already out somehow. They sell everything. Then much later in the movie, Dad picks up his phone on the thing on the train, and Peon is there and says, "Is this our fault? Is this our fault?" Because they sold everything. Somehow there was a disruption, and the disease got out. As to connect directly, corporate failure 
and greed to disease being released into the world. Is that your understanding, too, or am I making that up completely? Oh, no, I think it's absolutely set up that way where they're like one of the companies that they fund, one of these biotech companies that they're providing funding for is the one that is behind what got out when they realized that the company that um, where this came from is something that they funded. That's that realization that they have partway through the film that they, in a certain extent, are responsible Yes, it's somehow the news of them selling and everybody, I don't, I'm imagining layoffs and strikes and all kinds of horrible things because the people have been let down by their corporate overseers. And as a result, something breaks, disease gets out. Oh, I, I wasn't even thinking that because I, I wasn't thinking it was I, I didn't think it was necessarily tied to that first conversation about sell everything. I thought that was a mm. totally different thing. It's just showing how kind of cutthroat they are and the sorts of decisions they make. I just assumed that they ended up funding the wrong company that ended up being responsible for all of this. And because they were looking at profits rather than, uh, let's just say, more morals, uh, corporate morals, they ended up funding a company that created something that did escape in that deer and then got into the general population. That was that was how I interpreted it. Oh, okay. I actually, I prefer it either way. I actually don't have a strong opinion over that. The The bottom line for me is the fact that this is a story about profits over people. <laughs> it's very core. And the people uh, get real mad and sick and start eating each other. And pretty much that's pretty. I mean, you had you had me at eating each other. You, let's go back to the prologue briefly, because we have to introduce our friend Bambi. Because I'm sure this is what the live action Bambi is going to look like. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's an interesting open. And, you know, we used to talk about kind of uh, first shot, last shot as kind of a compositional choice that directors would do. And I found this one to be interesting because the first shot of this film is this, is the face, the kind of frozen face of this uh, construction mannequin. And then we kind of pull back and we see, oh, it's, you know, its arm is moving up and down as it's kind of, you know, letting people know that this is a uh, a, a a zone, uh, like a contaminated zone sort of thing, right? So it's, it's basically like a warning for vehicles. And the last shot of this film is a close-up of uh, our young daughter that we have, um, Seok Woo's daughter, um, Sue Ann. And so it was just interesting to kind of cut from like this frozen face at the start of this film this this mannequin's face to this young girl at the end and i suppose it's like finding the humanity in the stories uh, you know if we're looking for a thread in first shot last last shot i suppose there's something but yeah it, it's an interesting way to set the story up where we're i mean this is kind of like how does this thing I don't know if it's how it gets out. It seems like it was already out if this whatever this infection is in the deer. It's just that it happens to this guy happens to kill the deer and the deer zombifies. And I don't know based on what we saw if we if if you had watched uh, Soul Station. Um, you know, I, I well, I don't know. I guess there's nothing that tells us how far, how much earlier this particular scene happens, right? Yes. Like it's not necessarily the same day. We don't know. We don't know. I don't. Th- I don't know if it's the same day. My understanding, my read of it was that the deer was already a zombie and he hit it, and it was able to stand. Like we didn't just witness its first transformation. Is what is is what I'm saying. That it was already. Oh no, we out. did because we see it 
dead on the road, right? Well, but, you know, it was hit by a car. (laughs) Like, it could have been infected already, hit by a car, and get back up. They're very resilient, these things. Well, and that's that's a good point. I just I guess I would have assumed it would have gotten up a lot quicker because it seems it's it's like the it's like the it's more akin to the the people that we see later who are dead and then slowly start moving and then get up. And that's, I guess, why I thought that the deer was, quote, alive, just it had the infection within it, killed by the truck. And then the zombie virus takes over and wakes it up. Okay. Well, again, either way, like it's yeah. it's yeah, um, the the transformation of this deer, just the way it it moves, flips itself over, and stands up, is awesome. It looks great. Like in terms of questionable uh, effects, this is not one. Uh, I am totally bought in to Zombie Bambi. But it does make you wonder how far in advance this all was taking place, and when you see Soul Station. I mean, honestly, I was a little amazed <laughs> in in watching Soul Station, and I don't know if there's a certain element of Soul Station having kind of ruined my sense of the timeline and stuff. But when you see that next morning, when you see Seok Woo driving uh, with Sue Ann to the train station, I mean, according to Soul Station, the entire city has already been destroyed by zombies. So, so yeah. how have they not heard any of this? Why are trains still leaving the station? That is an element I didn't fully understand. Yes. And so uh, that's why, like, I, I, I'm not sure in the scope of, of prequels, it, it feels like it's more just, I don't know, I, I have to look at it maybe, as maybe a little more concurrent rather than full-on prequel. I think that's smart. I think that's a smart way to look at it because you're right. The only hint that we have any issues with, uh, you know, in Train to Busan is she's looking out the the window and sees somebody get tackled. But it's it's very subtle. But that's once she's on the train, right? Yeah, right. She, they don't see anything in the car. Uh, but it's when she's on the train that she sees someone and he's already asleep. Like, that's the only hint. But we would have seen a lot more, like, even in the station. It would have been a mess. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it feels like, it, it almost feels like Soul Station, yeah, concurrent or, like, they just left on the train. Like, that night before, they're driving around, they get to the train in the morning, and everything is falling apart at the same time. You're right. Concurrency is best. Yeah. I, I don't know how to make sense of Soul Station. It's like the Soul Station is what they left behind when the train left the station. That's what, Yeah, that's kind of what I want to think. Yeah. It does make me wonder, where is everybody in the at the point where they're driving, you know, early that morning when they're driving to the station in Train to Busan? Like, where are those characters? Be a fun Easter egg if they wrote them in somehow. Yeah, right. And right. we just haven't seen them yet. But yeah, it's it's an interesting zombie story. This is... I in both of those projects, you know, Train to Busan and in Soul Station, in neither case do we really get a sense as to how this really came to be or when, other than the fact that, okay, well, obviously there was a deer, obviously it was infected. Is that the start of it, or had it already started with all these people? And the deer just happens to be yet another byproduct of 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 creatures that have been infected. Yeah. Right. We don't really know. All we know is that. We'll find out later, oh, this biotech company somehow is responsible. Because, I mean, even when he's looking at the newspaper at work, um, and I shouldn't say the newspaper, but he's looking at a website, looking at some news, there is information on there that leads to the fact that, oh, the biotech company uh, probably was involved in some other stuff that's 
and and it's already starting like there's a whole thing with the fish population and you know all these things which makes me really think that it had been developing for potentially days before it's before it really has gotten to this point i wish i could read korean because i it makes me just want to like pause that that frame on the website and read more of those details because i have to imagine there's more on that page it's yeah subtle and fast but that would be useful quick nod to a just a really nice tie in what there there is one thing on the in the on their drive over to the uh train station where uh he comes to he's about to go through a light and he stops and there are a bunch of emergency vehicles driving around I love that bit because she, oh, she's she been playing with the window and the window's down and she puts her hand out and she catches some ash that is floating in the air and looks over and it turns out there's a giant fire in a, in a skyscraper and it's the ash that's floated over from that fire and presumably that's where the emergency vehicles are going. And we don't at this point know if there's a direct connection between, you know, what is happening in the world, re zombies, and the fact that there's a fire. Could be totally natural, uh, uh, you know, coincidence. But I really love that moment. It's a, it's a nice, awesome, intense beat. And it's actually very sweet because she is precious, this little girl. She's absolutely precious in this movie. So that's, that's my point. Well, and then let's just talk a little bit about this father-daughter pair that we have. I mean, Seok Woo is this overworking dad. I mean, it's kind of a lot of the characters, I suppose you could argue, are fairly archetypical uh, characters where we have an over, uh, you know, a dad who works too much, doesn't pay enough attention to his uh, his kid. He's divorced. Uh, his kid just wants to spend her birthday with mom who lives down in Busan and he's up in Seoul and is like, Ugh, I don't want to take the train trip down there. And she's like, just, I can do it by myself. And he's like, no. And he finally agrees only because he watches this uh, recital performance at school and sees her freeze up. She's trying to sing this Aloha, the Hawaiian Aloha song. And uh, freezes. And um, as he learns later, she freezes because uh, she was singing it for him and he wasn't there and she was looking for him. And, and the fact that he wasn't there caused her to freeze. And so out of guilt, he ends up deciding, okay, I'm going to take you. And so this is really kind of a father daughter. I don't know if we'd say rekindling their relationship, but certainly he's trying to figure out what, like how to be a better dad. And that's kind of the family side of our story. And lovely moments that are that are quick and build a lot of uh, structure to that relationship when he gives her the the Wii, uh, the Nintendo Wii, and he's <laughs> so happy that he's able to give her something that that, uh, you know, kids are into. He had to ask advice from his minion and he comes with his Wii and she looks over at the Wii that's already hooked up at their, on her TV in her bedroom that he gave her for Children's Day that year, um, which is uh, wonderful. Um, and sad as dad. <laughs> That's a sad thing. Yes. Well, what do you think of the the, the of like this setup for our story in the scope of you know a film like this where zombies are going to be attacking everybody? We know that's coming. We're kind of starting to meet our characters, and this is the first pair that we have of the father daughter. How does this uh, this pair work for you? 
Well, I love it because for him, as and, and I, maybe it's because my lens is from the lens of the dad that, you know, this is a dead man walking kind of story for him, right? He is He's relinquishing his daughter and he, the, his journey on this train is very much his journey of, of like the closer they get to Busan, let's say there were no zombies, the closer he gets to to giving his daughter over to, to mom who already left him because of his selfishness. Like at some point you wonder, would he come to terms with his own selfishness if it weren't for this zombie outbreak. And I just love watching him sort of be tested as a result of of all of these environmental elements, like testing his his level of empathy and engagement in his family. And and what does that really mean to him? Uh, What is the value of his job, his big fancy job, when as he starts to meet people who have such disrespect for him and what he does and they don't even know him? Like, they just know what he's what role he serves. Well, and part of that is because the way he behaves at the start of the film, and he really learns yeah. how to behave because of his daughter. Like, initially, he shuts the door on Sang-Wa and his wife, Seong Kyung, who, that's they're the married couple who, and she's pregnant, and he doesn't let them in, but eventually does. But, you know, even the homeless person, like, he keeps telling his daughter, you don't have to be nice to everybody. You don't have to try helping people, you know, stand up, you know, take care of yourself. You're the number one priority here. And through her actions, he slowly starts realizing that that's the wrong way to do it. And I mean, eventually, to the point where he is sacrificing himself for some of these people. For sure. And uh, you know, I think he makes a good case for it, but I think her, she, the, the little girl is sort of the change agent for him, like being, being the, the vessel of his learning how to find kindness in other people is, is fantastic. And she's, she's just really great. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, she is. She's just great. Yeah. Kim Suan. Uh, and then we have the husband and wife pair I already mentioned, where she's pregnant. That's, uh, you know, Seong Kyung and Sang Hwa as the husband and wife. And I love this pair, especially him. Uh, he's Ma Dong Seok is the actor. And, and seeing him, uh, I don't know, there's something about the way that he plays this character is just, like, so delightful. And he's... He really likes to stick it to our fund manager because of what he does and also because, you know, he locked him out and stuff. But but seeing like how this is a person who actually is incredibly handy to have, you know, aside from the fact that he's built like a boxer, you know, he comes up with, you know, with the the um, our baseball player, uh, Young Gook, you know, comes up with the idea to like tape a bunch of stuff to your arms to protect yourself from bites and stuff as you're pushing through the crowds. And so... Uh, they make for a, a, a fun pair, and it's fun to meet at the beginning. Again, the characters uh, really play to archetype, but, you know, with the pregnant wife, and he's the kind of the husband who's, you know, being super gentle with her because, you know, she's pregnant, got to be careful because they can go crazy. You know, it's like they're playing into those archetypes <laughs> a lot, but still, like, watching them as they kind of uh, become characters over the course of the film is really fun. I love them. Love the two older ladies, the sisters who are on the train together wandering about, uh, you know, kind of reliving the olden days. Uh, they are, are part of it. But the, the one who is our, I, I think, if it weren't for the zombies, he'd be our real sort of social antagonist is the giant man-child in a suit. Yon-suk. Who just wants to be taken care of. It's that he is the spirit of entitlement alive and well in South Korea. I, I just love watching how he foments division on this train as a result of his, you know, survival instinct. This is what he what happens when he is put in a place of fear. And um, 
and uh, I, I love how he is handled. The most interesting moment is when uh, Siok Wu is confronting him for not letting them in, and they could, if he had opened the door earlier, uh, they could have saved people's lives. Like that, you know, then Song Hua wouldn't been bitten and stuff like that. Yeah, and Yon Suk's reaction is like, "This man's infected," and and like starts riling his group against Siok Wu and his group. And and it turns into these two rival groups where then they basically for, force, you know, the dad and and his group to go get locked into the um, vestibule, which ends up being really for the best. But still, uh, it's it's interesting the way that, yeah, like you said, his survival instinct is to kind of climb on the backs of everybody. And, and even if he means, if it's, it, results in them drowning in the river you know it's like whatever he can do to survive is what he's going to do yeah he's uh he's a a rough character and the fact that it comes down to him at the end of the movie and dad uh dad who has learned lessons and and you know young suk who has learned nothing and and both end up sacrificing themselves as I think is the is the message. Like the Young Suk obviously doesn't sacrifice himself; he becomes a, a zombie and thrown off the train. And then spoiler horn, <laughs> you know, obviously Dad, you know, being infected also throws himself off the train. So uh, I, I think that is uh, that's a, uh, I think a great message, and it, it kind of bugs me. I was reading some of the critical reviews of this thing and, you know, people who are writing that this doesn't have uh, this doesn't have the heart. You like these characters don't learn lessons, uh, you know, as a result of their experience. And I totally disagree. I actually think this movie is quite efficient in the way it presents the overall arc of of many characters as they go through this harrowing adventure, uh, horrific adventure together, and the lessons they are forced to learn as a result. I actually think it's a really tight emotional story as much as it is a, uh, a zombie movie with some, you know, creative use of stunts and and makeup and it all looks great and i do think these characters go on a journey together as a result of their uh, of of what they're seeing literally this is yeah from on a train soul to Busan. it's a journey on a journey they really do take a journey yeah i i don't know if i think that i, I don't know if i see as many characters taking a uh like full character journey as far as like character arcs and everything other than our protagonist the rest of them really do largely seem along for the ride and just doing what they can to uh to survive um i i, I don't know if there needs to be in a story like this i think having our hero have his journey and learning his lessons i think can be enough and uh, you know watching the rest of the characters kind of just playing their roles in the scope of all this i think works for me well, I think it does too. I would just suggest that the that the, you know our principal guys, right? That you know we have as as you says, uh, Sangwa and Suk uh, Wu and uh, the baseball player. What was his name? Yongguk. Yongguk. So the three of them each have their own little directions, right? Like, and they all sacrifice in their own way and i think particularly um sangwa is you know he he also has this 
parent-child relationship. He doesn't have a child yet, but he has this pregnant wife, and he is, you know, you get to see him in his um, sort of becoming a, a father and his protective instinct and his the way he sacrifices and says, look, you know, jerk to to dad you've got to take care of her um i'm because he has to end up sacrificing himself for everybody and it becomes yet another kind of avatar of change for our for dad our principal character uh by what he's willing to do even for his unborn child and his wife even though he's not a father yet so uh, i i think those sequences are tight sequences and and they leave me feeling fulfilled that characters have learned something as a result of of their experience i guess i can see that i just don't know if it's as uh, again i i think that they end up feeling like they they're fairly archetypal in the in the lessons that they're learning because it fits with their characters you know young gook and and uh, who's the baseball player and jin he the cheerleader the, you know he's kind of awkward with her but comes to appreciate her by the time you know they've they're surviving together and they and she gets bitten and she attacks him like there are emotional beats with all these characters that I think work well because we like the characters so much I guess I'm just saying I don't I don't necessarily think that it's like that the the script has built in very extensive character arcs for any of these characters but I do think they're there as the archetypes themselves that end up working like the the new father who who is they're all really kind of there you know it's one of those scripts where he's like he's kind of there to 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 teach our protagonist the lesson that you have to be there for your kid watch i'm going to sacrifice myself for the betterment of my child like it's that those sorts of archetypes that that end up working and you like Sangwa so much that of course it's it's easy to kind of like go along with his story because he is such a great character and so i guess that's i, I think we're appreciating it in just different um we're looking at it from different angles though well, I think so, too. I think that, you know, from my perspective, there's a lot going on in this movie, right? This movie doesn't slow down from, from my to my eye. And the fact that these angles on the characters even exist, even if they are archetypes, the fact is, I do love these characters, to your point, and that they're able to shoehorn a little bit of this heart into the movie that is otherwise about amazing stunts and a lot of great work to bring these zombies to life on this train and in these train stations is a real testament to the film. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. This is not just an empty effects movie. This feels this feels like a, a movie with, you know, with more personality than that. And I, again, it's just these characters are just such delights. You know, it's, uh, you know, they may be archetypes, but they 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 work so well. And Young Gook as this young baseball player, like he's got this very uh, painful moment for him as it's, uh, uh, I think him, Sang-Hwa and Seok Wu are stuck in a train car much farther back and now they're trying to work their way forward through all the train cars to get back with the rest of the group and they of course have to cut through all these train cars that are full of zombies and they walk into the train car full of all his uh his friends the baseball team who are now all zombies and he freezes and he's unable to actually help in you know fighting through the zombie horde of because it's all of his friends and he, and he freezes he sees all that and that's like that's a great moment with this character because he's like i can't do it and so it's it's simple but it just it's it works so effectively and you know Choi Woo Sik who plays him i mean we've seen him in parasite we talked about him in that movie i mean he's just a a fantastic actor who 
plays that sort of emotional beat really well in this film. Yeah, he's he really is uh, like for a character that could have been, um, you know, central casting. <laughs> right? Like he's he is uh, really fantastic, and I do think his moment at the end when he's holding his now girlfriend in his arms and as she is turning mm-hmm. is a really special moment of of weird sacrifice. Like, why is he doing this? The power of his relationship over the course of this, you know, this train ride together has has really brought them together. And what what sort of solace comes from grief? Uh, the fact that he sort of lets himself, you know, be turned in now in at at you know in her arms. Yeah, really, that that sort of switchover is is hard. Yeah, right. Like it's hard and compelling. And you have that with the older sisters too, John Gill and Ingill, who uh, you know one of them is trapped with uh, in in the back car and doesn't make it through and ends up turning. And so the other sister is so devastated by the the turning of her sister that she basically goes to the door and opens it um, because she just it's like she can't live without her. And and so this is one of those hard things in these zombie films that I think portrays relationships in such an interesting way where it's like how do you handle your relationship with this person when they're still there standing in front of you it's just they're not themselves anymore now they are this zombie and uh you know it's it's yeah it's that's an interesting element that i think we do get in zombie films you know we talked about our relationship with zombie films in our member pre-show chat and just kind of the varieties of zombie films but one of the things we didn't talk about in that is this idea of your family members, when they've turned, like, how do you deal with that as as far as your relationship with them from this point? It's like, that's a challenge. And, uh, you know, you, you see that in things like Shaun of the Dead when his mom turns and, and how hard that is. But it's, it's one of these situations where people are going to handle that differently because, again, they're there standing in front of you. It's just they're not necessarily themselves anymore. Well, and interestingly, every character in this, every principal character in this movie has to deal with that. Even dad, his experience of that is, you know, talking to mom, his mom on the phone, and she changes on the phone. Yeah. Right. Which is a wonderful bit of just sort of, uh, uh, I, I guess, audio performance. Like it, it is really intense uh, to watch him listen to to her as she loses her humanity. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the the zombies, and I, I think we get some really wonderful. Wonderful moments. And this movie really builds up because there are so many of them. The transformation happens so fast, you know, in terms of the pandemic spread of of this thing. It happens over the course of a day. The government loses control over the course of effectively a day. And uh, and we see them on the train. We see them. Uh, there are some great montages as they get into. I, I think they're passing through Daegu Station uh, and before they get to Daegu Station, I think, before they stop. And there's the helicopter flying over and the zombies are hanging from the the legs of the helicopter and fall onto some skateboarders, which I think is awesome. Um, just some great moments, and those zombies get back up again and start running. What is your take on the physicality of our zombie hordes? Well, it's you know it's worth noting, like they were really going for the fast, creepy moving zombies as opposed to the Romero zombies. Uh, my understanding, they were references referencing the video game Seven Days to Die. And the anime Ghost in the Shell, and also the the game Silent Hill, 
And so I think there were a number of different looks that they were going for. And what I enjoy about what they are bringing to the zombies here is really unnatural movements. I, I mean, they move like people, I suppose, once they're up, but like it's when they fall, like somehow like they're getting up and they're moving their arms in kind of gross ways where it looks like things aren't necessarily where they're supposed to be, but the zombies just don't care. Yeah. And that's this is a movie about sockets. Yeah. 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 I love, though, there are some moments in the train cars when they're moving through and you just have this swath of zombies and it's a narrow space and trying to figure out how you navigate that. I, I really enjoyed that. I I liked that you ended up with these elements learning like when it goes dark, the zombies kind of suddenly can't see you anymore and they kind of lose so good. their senses. And, and that was kind of an interesting element that they employ. There are some moments like that where I'm like, I, I don't know, like, why did the zombies just so completely stop right away where, like, when a phone rings or something and it's still dark, then they still charge it. Like, if they had just seen you there, wouldn't they? Ch it seemed like it was a little too sudden. Like, I, I don't know. I, but there were moments like that that I, I really enjoyed that. It was just some of it was like a little... I felt like it was convenience for the story as far as like how fast they switched off or switched back on, you know? Yeah, I, I no, you don't have an issue with that. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, no, I do. I, I mean, I agree with you. I, I guess it's an issue when I talk about it. But when I'm watching the movie, like when she sprays the water on the on the glass and puts the paper on and all the zombies chill out because they can't see like object permanence is legit, right? Like, they they become effectively animal toddlers. And toddlers have the same thing. Like, you turn out the lights and the toddler stops or starts crying or something, but it doesn't remember that I'm still there. I can play peekaboo all the live long day and, uh, and get the same kind of reaction. So as soon as I, like, transpose, like, that behavior, if you just take away object permanence, then these things become a little bit more rational to me and and I was able to buy into it. I I think the the sequence that I have the most trouble with that is also incredibly intense is I mean it, we have this long journey of going through three I think train cars getting to the other side and there's a fight in two of them and eventually they get to the point where they have to start making their way through a lot of zombies and they do it with you know by timing the tunnels and they have to climb up on the luggage racks and slide their way uh, down to the opposite end of the tunnel. That's the one where if I stop too long, I'll I'll pull myself right out of the movie because I like I just never really found a way to buy that completely. There were a lot of zombies; they were very very close, and I just think I, they would have heard them. Like they already built the rule to your point about the cell phone ringing, and I think they break the rule so immediately after with that with that slide across the the luggage racks well and also it's like then we're buying that the luggage racks suddenly are completely empty except for the one bag that he the one uses. bag and i'm like i yeah and i was just like i felt like there had to have been more bags up there so i mean but that was one of those things and again it's like those sorts of things like we see them use the water and the paper newspaper to kind of you know shield them put it on the glass and to stop the zombies from attacking why is that the only time they do that there are several times where zombies end up bashing through the glass because they're so determined it's like well why why did you stop with your newspaper trick like you figured out a great trick why aren't you doing that some more 
And yeah, um, great trick because then this is the newspaper on glass movie, and they needed to move <laughs> on. <laughs> right. So, I mean, there are there are elements like that uh, throughout the story, but largely, I I think that it's fun. Oh, and also another thing is like they seem to kind of turn as the as quickly as the story needs them to. Like sometimes a person is attacked sure. and seems to transform into a zombie immediately. Sometimes usually when it's like one of our characters who we like, it takes a long time and we see them slowly kind of turning and I'm like why is that one taking so much longer than the others? And so yeah, know. that's like the dad is case example. Like he not only he gets bitten and he then has time to monologue <laughs> to teach. Here's how a train works. And also, you're going to be okay, girl. And I need to walk solemnly the length of the engine car and stand for a while before things get serious. Like, it's just long. Uh, so I, I struggled with that, too. Uh, yeah. And when I say I struggle, I mean, I still have a great time watching the movie. Like, the, oh, these are the elements yeah. that I certainly notice. But it is one of those things when you're setting up rules in a world like this, like sometimes I'm like, I just I just don't get it. And I suppose you could argue, well, he just had a little bite on his hand as opposed to somebody who had like their had their jugular had been gnawed halfway off. And so probably the blood gets in a lot quicker. And so, OK, mm-hmm, I can sure. see some logic to some of that. But it is one of those things that you know, it does end up in your head. Yeah. Um, uh, the most intense sequence for me, I just, we, I want to talk about the East Daegu train station stop because I think that was so well done in terms of building the intensity and the, the hope for survival, even though we're only 40 minutes into the movie. They get to this, to the train station in Daegu and they get off the train and they walk carefully around wondering where are all the people at and um uh, they get into the station he our principal dad has already had a conversation with a uh, i i'm assuming a soldier buddy of his who says i can get you out but you have this to is go day john a different right direction. not Daegu. Daegu is the blocked one you're talking about the one where they oh, go inside you're right you're right this is the one where they where they right they, okay yeah they yeah. go in right. they go inside yeah. right okay yes in fact the the sign uh, over the train in Daejeon Station says, here's the train to Daegu. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. You're right. Um, so they've they've trapped a lot of people, zombies, on the train, in the train car. So all of our human uh, living people get off and they wander through and they are wandering through this completely empty train station. And our buddy gets it, it takes his daughter and walks down a side hallway. And this uh, weird homeless guy follows him. All of that is super intense because there are no people, but there's a lot of mess. That's an interesting element to just bring up because this also speaks to lessons that Syakwu has to learn because he is still a little more on the selfish side. He calls a government agent that he knows who's in uh, Daejeon and says, hey, where should I go? And this person says, oh, don't go to the place where everyone normally goes. You need to come to this East End or whatever it's called. And so that's why he and he convinces his daughter, who's just like, well, we should tell everybody. He's like, no, 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 don't worry about everybody. And so it's just him and his daughter. And then, of course, as you said, this homeless man follows. But this is still this lesson that he has to learn about not being as selfish. And of course, it doesn't really bode well for everybody. But to your point, the way that the tension builds is um, it's pretty exciting. 
Yeah, it's really exciting, especially as they get through all of the sort of quarantined off areas and they walk down those stairs and the reveal as they're all on the stairs that uh, that the soldiers who were purportedly there to help them put them into quarantine have actually all been turned and have been trapped in the station and are just trying to get out. And then they turn around and the biggest obstacle becomes the stairs that our people are on in the first place, like watching the clumsy wave of passengers as they have to get off the escalator and jump over the railings and climb back up these stairs as these soldiers now zombie soldiers are chasing them up the stairs is really intense and i think it's just i mean it's a great great sequence in in a movie full of really solid you know surprise action sequences and just that's another moment that really kind of gives us that separation between uh the characters as the the COO, you know, our evil COO character convinces the train attendant, the one who's left alive, that they need to take off. They're not going to wait for people, even though our heroes, Yuck Wu, along with uh, several other people, are still behind trying to get this door locked. And of course, this is what ends up separating the two groups when as they all get back onto the train. But this is that the the evil businessman at work that kind of forces this situation in into existence and it feels like just watching him talk to the train attendant it's the train attendant it's it's in fact largely the secondary characters in this movie that that push back on we have to get the others like i hear what you're saying we can't leave without the others we're going to wait for the others and and tend to push back on the the spirit of entitlement that comes from these business class passengers and that's that's good stuff that's good stuff uh, we it also levels up the the mob of zombies because this is where we get to see zombies outside of the train, and there are a lot more of them. and And we have the sequences they run across the sort of sky bridge over the train, and they they put so much pressure on the glass that they start pouring out the glass breaks, and they pour out on top of the train uh, in some numbers. And so here we are, like starting to see more and more of the like the the um the zombie allusions to what you know world war z was also trying to do right just show masses of masses and masses of infected you know that you're not fighting individual zombies anymore you're fighting a horde and the horde moves much different than you might expect from other movies and i think that i think this movie actually handles it really really well there aren't there aren't so many zombies at any one point that it feels like liquid right that it feels like they're this is much more of a particle simulation they all feel like individual horrible things but still i get a sense of scope uh that works very well yeah and i suppose for me the biggest moment of that is you know when they are in daegu station and they they're trying to finally get on that one engine as it's taking off and as it's going suddenly these this horde of zombies runs and several of them grab on and then several behind them grab onto them and it turns into this giant um, like wave of zombies that are kind of held on by a few at that front. But as this massive horde of zombie, it's like this, this giant blanket is being tugged behind the train of zombies. And then of course it is, how do you get rid of all of these? And Siokwu has to like start bashing fingers and trying to get, let them force them to let go. And so it's, but it's like that sort of moment where it's like pretty terrifying that these, these things just, you know, there is no thinking in them at all. It's just, attack 
there's another moment where the train, there's an explosion and the train sort of falls on its uh, on its side and the weight of the train cars that is now just sort of full of uh, zombies, eventually the glass breaks and the the zombies all kind of pour out in order. Like, <laughs> as the camera pulls away, you see them all flood out onto the ground uh, over and putting our, our principal characters in great peril. And even that doesn't take me out of the... That, that is very clearly an, an effect sequence and it looks uh, great to me. So there's just a lot going on uh, at this in this finale where they're showing a lot of zombies at once and uh, it all plays. And that was such a fun sequence anyway because being stuck by a, a train car crash and then you're underneath this slanted train car under windows that are full of zombies who want you and you have to figure out how to get out from under this train before those windows break i mean it, it makes for some great tense moments so yeah they did they did a great job of building all of that for and sure i don't know if we've mentioned the uh the director but yon sang ho uh i think did a, a really fun job with kind of crafting those scenes um, based on Park Joo Suk's sick script. This was Young Sang Ho's first, right? Am I right about that? No, this is not. This is not his first. Um, this was just like fifth or something. Or, or no, actually, just of, as director, third feature. Uh, have not seen uh, the King of Pigs or the Fake, but um, definitely on board with his zombie fare. Well, this is his first live action. Those were both um, anime. Uh, films that he did i believe right yeah yeah and he was uh he was in it i was watching some <laughs> some behind the scenes uh did what did you watch any of the extra features that came with it no is no, you you don't really learn a whole lot it's really just literally behind the scenes shooting sequences but at the end of one of them he does talk and it is it it's it almost feels like a party speech like i'm it, it is so banal and so absent of any human emotion that it feels like he might be uh, have just gotten bitten himself huh. he doesn't he's he, i i love the work he's done here he feels he, his chill is on lock he is very very low-key as a guy yeah no judgment interesting well i am certainly curious to look at some more of his stuff to kind of see um what else he does you got anything else you want to talk about we no, I think we should uh, move forward. So we'll be right back. But first, our credits. The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Charlie Ryan, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. How to do it awards season. Oh, wait. Is there a sequel and remake? Well, we're not. Did we'll, I skip over sequels and remakes? We'll just we'll talk about the sequel uh, next time. And obviously, we've already talked about the prequel. But as far as remakes go, it's, it's worth bringing up here at this point, I suppose, that this is a film that had been planned to do since 2016. It had been optioned to do an English language remake of it. 2018, it kind of ended up, um, you know, Warner Brothers was going to distribute it. They had Indonesian director Timo Tajanto uh, in talks to direct and James Wan producing 
um, as of December 2021, it was called The Last Train to New York. And it was actually, and, and I suppose this is why we're talking about it here, they had scheduled it to release just this past weekend, April 21st, 2023, as of the date that we're recording. However, Warner Brothers decided, no, we're going to release Evil Dead Rise that weekend and we'll push this back. And so at this point, it still has not been made. And fingers crossed it doesn't, because why? You can just watch this one. It's fantastic. So, Right. So is the implication that they haven't made it or haven't done any work on it, that it's never gone to into shooting? They haven't. No, they, they pulled it off the release schedule. And I don't know if they I, there is no word at this point if it actually is going to be back on the docket to make. Interesting. But I don't know. My my hunch is that they're still planning on getting it made. Well, the, if, if anything serves any sort of remake, it is a greater span of time between a remake and this original. It, it would be too soon. This movie is too good, too accessible. And um, uh, and really, to your point, just go watch this. Yeah. It's great. Exactly. Uh, how about award season? Uh, is this fared OK? Did pretty well for us for a uh, genre film. 35 wins with 39 other nominations at KOFRA, KOFRA, the Korean Film Reporters Association. It had two wins. Uh, Ma Dong-seok won for Best Supporting Actor and Yon Sang-ho uh, won the Discovery Award for Director. Over at the Saturn Awards, the sci-fi fantasy and horror, it did. It was nominated for Best Horror Film, but lost to Don't Breathe. And at the Beck Sang Arts Awards, uh, this is one of Korea's uh, South Korea's uh, more prestigious film awards. It uh, was nominated for Best Film, but lost to The Wailing, which is a fantastic film. I would probably pick The Wailing as well. Uh, let's see, one Best Director, or sorry, Best New Director, and uh, Kim Ui-sung won for Best Supporting Actor. He's our um, the evil businessman, beating out Ma Dong-seok, who was also nominated for Supporting Actor. And over at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it won Best Foreign Language Film, and Gong Yu was nominated for Best Actor, but lost to John Goodman in 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's another film we've talked mm-hmm. about on this show in one of our we bonus have. episodes. And we like John Goodman on that. John Goodman was fantastic in that. Yeah, yeah, he was. All right. How to do with the box office? Tell me it made some money. Oh, yeah. Yon Sang-ho's film had a budget of $8.5 million, or $10.6 million in today's dollars. The movie premiered at Cannes in 2016 before it released in South Korea July 20th, 2016. It opened here in the States two days later in a fairly limited release. Opposite Star Trek Beyond, Lights Out, Ice Age Collision Course, Nerve, and Batman the Killing Joke. The movie did okay here domestically, earning $2.1 million, but did much better overseas. It became the highest-grossing Korean film in Malaysia, Hong Kong, and Singapore. And back home in South Korea, it was the highest-grossing film of the year. It ended up earning $93.5 million internationally for a total gross of $119.6 million in today's dollars. That lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of $923.7,000. Hmm. Just teasing at a mill a minute. That's the kind of return we want to see <laughs> in right. our Apthom report. Uh, I love this movie. I'm really looking forward to uh, revisiting Peninsula with you uh, next week uh, because this was a treat. Yeah, I hadn't seen this one in a while, and so it was nice to revisit, and I had a great, great old time with it. Uh, well, we'll be right back for our ratings, but first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, as Pete just said, Peninsula. Pete just said. 
You get the truck, come back with the money. That's $2.5 million per head. If you come back alive. She's doing it. Okay, Andy Letterbox. You've heard of Letterbox. It's your uh, favorite social media network for movie lovers. And uh, we've fallen in love with it. We put our watch lists on there, review movies on there, ratings on there. You can share reviews, read other people's reviews. Uh, it's just a nice place to be. And you can, if you want, remove all the ads from Letterbox and support the fantastic Kiwi team that makes this thing by upgrading to a pro or patron membership. Uh, and you, we have a discount code. The discount code is NEXTREEL. Or you can just visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxed, and that discount code will get you 20% off that upgrade. It works for renewals as well. Andy, what are you going to do? It's a genre movie. You're going to throw some stars at it, but are there quibbles because it's a genre movie? Or do you rate it based on what the movie is trying to do? How do you approach it? Well, that's a lot of questions that you just threw at me. So um, many questions. I, yeah, all at once. I mean, I, I, I don't uh, generally rate uh, movies down because they're doing what they set out to do, uh, even if I didn't like them as much. I mean, I had a great time watching this one. I think they they do a great job in the genre. I just think it's a film that I really enjoy anyway. Initially, when I first watched it, I, get it, I rated it three and a half stars in a heart, and I think I'm going to bump it up to four stars in a heart. What is it that gives you that extra half star this time? I it just I don't know. I just I really enjoyed the characters and I enjoyed the ride. So I you know it was a it was a fun journey for me and it you know it ends on that bittersweet delight of seeing our young girl. Um, you know she's she's walking through the tunnel, Sue Ann, and she's singing that song and that's what keeps them alive. And just like that little moment of humanity, I just thought was really sweet. And so yeah, just really enjoyed it. I am and have been a four star in this movie for some time. And I don't know, like it, just because of who I am, it feels like I should bump this up to five stars. I'm not quite there yet. I think we we went ahead and pulled aside, pulled out some of the rules that get broken, that they, they set they set up these rules and then break the rules. And maybe that's where my where my one star falls. But um, this I, I'm totally open to loving Train to Busan even more over time. Yeah. We'll see. Very fun. Well, don't forget, visit thenextreel.com slash letterbox, and you can get your patron or pro membership. It works for renewals as well. 
So what did you think about Train to Busan? We would love to hear your thoughts. Hop into the Show Talk channel over in our Discord community, where we will be talking about the movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. <laughs> I, I, I know which one you picked, and I know which one I picked, and I don't think either of us really went for critical substance in the reviews that we picked. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go first? Because I'll probably be screaming a lot of mine. <laughs> sure, it's fine. I did a three and a half. Uh, this is... <laughs> You might have seen this on Letterboxd because it is the the most popular review there, but it's awfully funny. Three and a half stars by Iana, who says, Is there a name for the superiority complex you have when you criticize everyone in zombie movies for making stupid decisions, even though you know you'd be the first to die in the same situation? <laughs> <laughs> Not only would I be the first to die, man, I'd just turn and run into it. Because it's like, you know, <laughs> just, what's the point? Just own it. Uh, mine is a five-star review from Maskell, who says, does say this review may contain spoilers. Almost two hours of me yelling at my screen, run, 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 no, watch out, oh, no, don't kill that guy, watch out, little girl, freaking love that dude, run, 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 Jesus, that was amazing, go, 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 I really love that dude, watch out, <laughs> yes, I cried, save the kid, oh, she's so cute, holy Christ, no, don't kill her, I hope that guy gets munched, watch out, cool, run, 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 F that guy, don't shoot, the kid can't sing, but she's adorable. And finally, I love the music playing over the end credits. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when people emote in their Letterboxd reviews. Oh, so good. <laughs> Thanks, Letterboxd. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Season 12 was all about catching up on big franchises, some of which were based on books that are on Audible. Series like Twilight, with Twilight, Eclipse, New Moon, and Breaking Dawn, all on Audible. Our Train Spotting series has both Train Spotting and Porno, Welsh's follow-up book that largely inspired T2 Train Spotting. We've got the three Lord of the Rings books. And our member bonus episodes, The Hustler and The Color of Money. So many great movies from so many great sources, and they're all on Audible. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. 
so much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible. 